Okay, let's read uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. Pretty simple verse, isn't it? Only four verses. <clears throat> and um, I guess you couldn't get um, too many interpretations about a simple verse like that. Thou shalt not kill. But perhaps there are lots of interpretations about that. Thou shalt not kill. Controversy even between the, the Catholics and the Protestants. Um, this is part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Uh, they can't decide between themselves whether it's the Fifth Commandment or the Sixth Commandment. Because the Catholics want to have having no graven images before me as uh, not one of the commandments specifically outlined, they make that number two. And so um, you'll find that the Catholic and the Protestant, although there's not, um, not too much protesting going on anymore, uh, versions of the Ten Commandments will label this one a bit differently. Anyway, that's beside the point. Thou shalt not kill. Of course you shouldn't kill. Um, kill what? Um, shouldn't kill people. Okay. What happens if they're mass murderers and so on? Well, some people say, yeah, they should be put to death and others, well, you can't do that. But um, um, what about animals? Uh, should we all eat, uh, eat fish because we don't want to kill animals? Well, I guess if we eat fish, well, we're killing something to do. Eat fish, aren't we? Uh, where do you define what is life? Vegetables is life and everything. Thou shalt not kill. Maybe it's a bit more uh, to it than just thou shalt not kill. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse uh, 21. Part of the Sermon on the Mount. And as um, Jesus said, words read in my Bible, verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And that's what Jesus was alluding to, the verse back in Exodus 20, thou shalt not kill. And everybody knew you mustn't kill. What about if there's a war situation? What about if somebody's attacking you? Maybe it's not quite as uh, clear cut as it might seem at first, thou shalt not kill. And Jesus opened the door a bit when he read the next when he mentioned what we read in the next verse. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever says shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Raka, Hebrew says uh, um, the Greek as it's translated from uh, an empty one or a a vain, a worthless person, a fool. I looked it up and said um, somebody who's stupid or call him a, a blockhead, actually uses the word, a blockhead. Um, to say to somebody who's been a bit stupid, you blockhead, um, that seems to be a long way away from thou shalt not kill, doesn't it? When I was in the Catholic Church, I was uh, taught there that thou shalt not kill means you mustn't get angry. That Jesus was, uh, by this verse, alluding God in the Old Testament, Jesus in this verse alluding to much more than just physically killing somebody. And so, I was just talking about this recently in Kerberpedia, about getting angry. And we live in a society where it's so infuriating at times, the things that happen. And maybe we do get angry, and we self-justify. We've got a right to get angry about, about this or about that. I said about how, how I went to the recycling yard recently, a couple of times. They cleaned us away and all these bottles and cans and I took them down on my trailer and 
and the man gave me $67, double the price of what they used to be. Then I went the second time, and I thought I'd pretty close to the same, and, and the man said, it's exactly $30. Now, what was I going to do? I drove away, and I thought, I reckon he chis chiseled me. I must have had at least two-thirds of what how many I had the first time. Now he gave me $30, and it was exactly $30. It wasn't, you know, $30 and 10 cents. It was exactly $30. I'm driving around. I can feel the temperature rising a bit. What could I do about it? What if he did cheat me out of $5? You can't even buy a couple of coffees for $5. What was the point in me getting, allowing myself to get upset because somebody maybe chiseled me out of $5? What should I have done? Counted every can before I went down there? Taken a calculator and worked out exactly how much it should have been? The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I shall repay, says the Lord. And if that man has done the wrong thing, well, he's the one that's in trouble and not me. But we allow ourselves to get a bit hot under the collar at times and we think it's okay. We've just got to be careful that that doesn't become a habit and it starts to you know, form our nature. What sort of a person we are that we fly off the handle. All the road rage and everything else that's around. Yes, life can be very infuriating. You look to do the right thing when something goes wrong. You know, I was, I was so busy so many things to do and people to talk to and an Aboriginal lady was moved into a house. New house, I painted, everything's fine and, and uh, she moved in and she rang up, Pastor Dean, can I come around? The uh, hot water didn't work. Uh, when they painted it, they pushed the telephone connection back into the uh, wall and the, um, and the television socket back into the wall and plastered over and painted it. The lady couldn't get her television to work. She wanted me to hang up a few pictures for her and um, she didn't have a husband to do it. And I had a, had a container of nails and a hammer. And so I'm there, I hammer a few nails in to hang the pictures up for after I've got the hot water service going. And I'm oh, supposed to be here and there. And, and in my frustration, I turned over the tin of nails. All these nails everywhere. Where's the magnet when you need one? To pick up all the nails, pick up all these nails. Ah, oh, what's going on here? And I could feel I was getting a bit agitated. All I was doing was trying to help a sister. She had nobody else to do the job. Why should I allow myself to become distressed or even out of control about something that I did it myself? I tipped over the nails. And maybe we're like that at times. We allow the things around about us to get hold of us and we start to lose control. Maybe that's what the Lord was talking about when he said, thou shalt not kill. That means don't get angry either. Because when you get angry, Maybe you do things that you're pretty disappointed in yourself afterwards. And if you are volatile like that, and you're talking to somebody who is a blockhead, oh, excuse me, I shouldn't say that, should I? Um, who seems to be that way, and you act towards them in an uncharitable way, what hope have you ever got for them to listen to you when you start to tell them about the gospel message? Perhaps that's what the Lord is talking about. We're not going to say to somebody, you're an idiot, when obviously they are, because you destroy the opportunity to save their soul. It's all right. <clears throat> you know what I mean? I had an issue with the bank late recently. Something happened back in, in, in January 06, and they, and they, uh, they uh, put through an entry in March 07, uh, 09, three, three years and three years later. 
I've had six phone calls with the bank, back and forth and so on. In the end, the, uh, the top superior said, look, you better uh, write me a letter about this. And I said, look, I've already explained it six times to different people. I think I'd better write a letter. Now, again, what's the point in me allowing myself to get upset when that person, all the people there, as soon as they hang up, well, I'm gone. I, would, I wouldn't have a clue where they were in Australia or overseas. I, I don't know. But things like that can get hold of you, can't they? And in the end, you ruin your own day. And you destroy the joy and the love that you want to have for the unsaved out there. Don't allow other people's problems to become your problems because they surely will unless you are able to be in control of yourself. Just read a proverb 16, verse 32. Um, <clears throat> just one proverb, then we'll come back to the New Testament. <clears throat> Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. And so you've got the general in the army that can control all the, uh, all the soldiers, all the forces, and march in. He can plot and organize and take the city victorious. But the Bible says, if you are slow to anger, you're a more potent, and per potent person than that general of the army. At times, the situations around about us really do test us. Maybe it's within our family. Maybe our husband, our wife, our children, our parents. The ones that, uh, I remember I had a, had a, a family in Cuba, Pedia's clients, uh, and uh, in the end I, I said to these, these people, I don't want to come here anymore. And I said, they said, why not? I've known them for years. I said, every time I come here, you two are screaming at each other. And they said, don't worry about that. I said, well, I get a headache. I don't want to be in the midst of that. And they said, well, you've got to let off steam sometimes. We can't let off steam at the customers, so we blow each other's heads off. It's crazy, isn't it? But maybe sometimes we're like that too. And we bring into our home situation, situations which are not good for our joy and our peace. The Bible talks about the peace that passes understanding. And maybe you might feel justified in... Um, in um, raising your voice and getting a bit heated. Maybe it's necessary at times. We'll read an issue like that in a moment. But we've just got to be careful. As Jesus said, he that says to his brother, Raka, you're worthless, you're empty, shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say, you fool, you blockhead, shall be in danger of hellfire. We need to be careful about what we say and how we react with other people. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse um, 17. <coughs> um, I need to turn up, but in, in Galatians 5, it, it talks about <coughs> the works of the flesh, and in there it says murder. Murder is, um, is the work of the flesh. Nobody, nobody has any issue with that at all. But, of course, in the middle of that verse, um, it, uh, it talks about uh, hatred and variance and emulations and wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And, of course, murder seems to be one end of the extremity 
and perhaps revelings and envying and such like are very much at the other end of the scale and so we say, oh, well, that, that sort of behaviour is okay, we condone it within ourselves. Well, maybe the Lord's suggesting it's not a good idea to allow yourself too much rope along that line. Ephesians 4.17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Let the heathen rage. Let the people around about carry on. They haven't got the Holy Spirit, but we have. And we want to see their souls saved. And if we're like them, they've got no hope to come to walk with the Lord. Verse 20. You have not so learned Christ. We don't read about Jesus doing his block. Well, we read a verse in a moment where he got, uh, got a bit agitated, but uh, um, he was in control. If anybody had the right to, uh, uh, to lose it, I guess Jesus did. The unjustified criticisms, the lies, all he wanted to do was good for everybody. And they looked to stone him when they crucified him. If anyone had the right to get angry, Jesus did. But his, uh, his life, as we read here, is just a wonderful testimony for us. He was in control. No matter how much the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers looked to rile him up, he was in control all the time. You've not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Maybe you know that you've had a temper and you're a violent person before you come to the Lord. Maybe you've just come to the Lord. Don't allow the old man to rise up and to cheat you out of the, uh, the new life that you have, the peace, the quietness which is possible and which you have experienced. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after Christ is crucified in righteousness and true holiness. Uh, we are different people now. That's why we keep talking about being born again. Born of the Spirit. We're different people now. And those things which were okay in the world. I remember my old boss saying to me once, he said, you haven't got enough bite, Dean. You need to get rolled up. You need to get angry a bit. He said, if one third of the clients, customers are not complaining about the prices, we're not charging enough. I didn't want to live in an environment like that. And we don't have to. If we just walk honestly with the Lord leading us, the Holy Spirit leading us day by day, we'll be able to walk through this, through this world and not be dragged down by it. Like, like Daniel going through the, the fiery furnace and coming out without even the smell of smoke on his clothes that's how we can be in this world just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean to say that we have to be like that we have the power to be different people and we are we're born of the holy spirit wherefore putting away lying speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another uh, white lies fibs half truths and so on well we have to be careful because we live in a world where it's okay. In fact, some of the politicians will say it's your duty to lie at times, and they look to justify, and we don't want to be like that. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let your, the sun not go down upon your wrath. 
Well, if we do find that we're in a situation that we're a bit distressed about, unhappy about, we need to deal with it before we go to sleep, particularly if it's within our family. We need to deal with it. The sooner a matter is dealt with, the better off everybody is, whether it's in your family or whether it's within the family of God. We don't want to have to have people who sit there and there, I'm sorry, or there or there, you know what I mean? Because they can't stand each other. If somebody can't stand you, well, you know, rarely is the problem 100% one person's. Uh, and even if it is, and if we, even if we are 100% in the right, we need to do what we can to resolve the issue, to help that person, because their problem might prevent them from entering into the kingdom of heaven. And while we might feel we've got a perfect right to be angry with them, it's our duty to do something about diffusing the situation so that we can all live in peace and harmony, so we can gather together like we are this afternoon and take the bread and the cup and commune together as brothers and sisters in the family of God and as not just individuals who just happen to be in this place for a communion at this time, but as brothers and sisters together. Neither give place to the devil. Ah, oh, the devil will do what he can to stir you up. Something which doesn't look to be sinful and wrong because it's all around about us. Maybe that's the way the devil eats away and chips away and tries to drag us down and to put us back into this world. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And we need to be careful about the things that we say. Uh, the language is being uh, demeaned all the time. And um, language is all around on television, on football fields and effects mics and all those sorts of things. It's all around about us. We have to be different to that. We have to go through and not have the smell of smoke on our clothes as we come out the other side. But that which from our mouth, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so if you... Uh, Saying to the, the person, you stupid idiot, you're blocked, you're a clock, you don't understand. Well, that's not going to do much uh, uh, ministering of grace to the hearer. That's only get, going to get them more agitated and uh, drive a bigger chasm between you and them. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, in verse 30, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. And so there are many things that um, are not sort of obviously. Um, wrong thou shalt not kill well we think maybe there's not too much uh, de uh, defining of that needed but if if Jesus said don't get angry well that's a bit harder to draw the line and the Holy Spirit within us will lead us and guide us will be motivated by the Spirit and if we grieve the Spirit if you're doing something which the Lord is not happy with you feel uncomfortable and so you can put that down you can override those feelings. It's up to you. Your life is your life. You do whatever you want to do. If you want to get to the kingdom of heaven, you need to work with the Lord, work in your life to prune, to sever those things, habits and ways that the Lord doesn't want in the kingdom of heaven. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit and we don't want to have our consciences seared with a hot iron like Paul said to Timothy. And we're surrounded with people like that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put off from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And we come this afternoon for communion. 
And maybe the focal point about communion is that we've been forgiven. Forgiven of our sins. The Lord's forgotten. He's given us a brand new life. It's not going to do us any good to harbour bad feelings towards somebody else. Will they be in the fellowship or will they be out of the fellowship? If you're harbouring bad feelings and you're angry, well, as soon as something goes a little bit wrong, you'll lose your cool. And then you'll be disappointed with yourself. Pretty hard to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, when you're uh, cursing at somebody because they've done something wrong to you. Our life is worlds apart from that now. And the Lord's provided our fellowship so that we can be the people that he wants us to be. We put off all that arguing, strife and clamour and bitterness and anger and so on, and we look to be kind one to another. All the people say, amen. Christ has forgiven us. It's our responsibility to forgive others as well. Let's go to John chapter 2, verse 13. Verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand and the Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those that stole, sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting. And when he made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changes' money and overthrew the tables. And they, and they said, uh, and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, it seems if Jesus was angry, well, uh, he was hot under the collar of these people, but he was not out of control. He knew what he was doing. He didn't do this because he just lost it. He knew exactly what he was doing. And something had to be done, and he, he got his message across. As he says, verse 17, the disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. And, uh, and Jesus was 100% for what he had to do. Remember years ago, there was a, a man come to the fellowship and he uh, <clears throat> previously he'd uh, had a drug problem, a gambling problem and so on. And, and um, we sorted him out and got him off the drugs and everything was going all right. We got his uh, son baptized in spirit filled. We got his wife off drugs and, and um, coming to the fellowship and I loaned uh, uh, this man... Uh, uh, our car, and, and then the lad was 15, and he come in crying. I said, what's the matter? He said, Dad's down at the pokies. So I went around to the pokies in Cooper PD, and uh, his wife was there. She was trying to get him out. He, she'd gone in, he wouldn't come out, and she was outside crying. And I went in there, and I screamed out, what are you doing here? And uh, everybody in the place looked. And I grabbed him by the collar, said, out of here. And he started to scoop up some, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Dean, sorry. And he started to scoop up the money. I said, leave it there. And I dragged him out of the place and uh, hollering at him all the time. When we got outside, his wife said, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor Dean. She said, I didn't want you to get upset. I said, I knew exactly what I was doing. Just make a bit of a testimony to other people that were around there as well. A lot of people knew me. And uh, not that I advised going to the pokey place. I had to get him out of there. <laughs> It was interesting, some of the situations we may be find ourselves in, but we can be disappointed and distressed and um, 
upset about a situation without being angry. And I guess that's what was happening here. Jesus could see that the little people were being hurt by the Pharisees and the church leaders. You made my father's house a den of thieves. You know, things get, get me a bit stirred up. I read the paper occasionally. We get the advertiser a day late up in Cooper Pedy. And a couple of weeks ago, I was reading in there in the Articles of Faith about a situation in Adelaide where a minister from a bishop from one of the, uh, one of the churches here up Murray Bridge, he's been uh, under a bit of scrutiny as some of the women have made allegations against him and so on. And they've been decided, working out for two years what to do about this man. And in the end, the archbishop said, well, I think, uh, think it would be best if you resign. And so the guy said, yeah, well, okay, well, I'll resign. He said, but uh, I want a million dollars payout. And uh, you probably read it. And uh, he says, what million dollars? He said, well, I figure I've got 15 years to retirement from my job, and I really wasn't looking to retire now. I'll go, I'll retire for a million dollar payout. How can that man stand up in front of the people there and be as their father confessor and their leader and, their, and the one they look up to and he's, uh, they pass around the plate to put some money in and they know whatever they put in is to pay him off a million dollars to retire early? They're the sort of things that get me a bit stirred up. Every one of us. That's what's going on in the world. We're not in the world. Our life is totally different to that. And just because we might see people getting angry, even in church circles, doesn't mean to say that you or I have got the right to be angry because the Lord said, if you get angry, you're in danger of hellfire because they, the anger is like a fuse which is lit until in the end you'll be out of control, not being led by the Spirit. And if you're that sort of person, the Lord doesn't want you in the kingdom. That's um, serious things. How much rope do you allow yourself in your spiritual life? Jesus knew what he was doing. And, um, yeah, James chapter 4. We better finish shortly. Um, James 4, verse 17. People say, what is sin? <clears throat> the last verse of James chapter 4 says, Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So sin is not the bad things that you do. Not about looking at the Ten Commandments and working out which ones that you've defaulted on or other things. Have I murdered? No, I haven't. Have I been angry? Well, yeah, but how far? What is sin? Sin is when you know what the right thing to do is and you don't do it. It's not some big major thing. I guess the word sin to the world is, uh, almost doesn't exist anymore. What's right is determined by whether you get away with it or not got away with it, it must be right. If you get caught, it must have been wrong. And some people are looking to work out gradations of sin. In the Catholic Church, we had venial sins and mortal sins and, and so on. The Bible tells us if you know what the right thing is and you don't do it, that's sin because you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Lord has given us the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit, which will lead us into the kingdom of heaven. We find that the apostles were, uh, were um, upset at times. Uh, you know, we think about uh, um, Paul in Galatians, I think, chapter 2, he says about Peter. He said, when Peter came to Antioch, he said, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. There was contention between Peter and Paul. Well, Peter was, was about the food laws, and so we don't need to go into it. But there was, there was tensions there. We're not 
disputing or denying the fact that at times there are differences no matter how we deal with them and how we work through them. You read in Acts chapter 15 where some of the Jews that got saved, they said, you've got to repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues and keep the law of Moses and be circumcised to be saved. And you read in Acts 15 verse 2, I think it is, and it says there was no small dissension and disputation between them. Sounds like heck of a row. And they went off to Jerusalem to sort out this matter. As they went along the way, it says they, they shared the testimonies and they caused great joy amongst all the people. So even though there were some differences, we acknowledge that's the case because we're all different people, different backgrounds and different situations, different temperaments. And if there's times when things are a little bit distressing, well, we work through it so that we can come here and be happy to stand beside whoever it is in the fellowship and have communion with them as a brother and sister in the Lord. And don't allow any distress to rise up in anger to make you want to pass on the other side of the road. Verse 13 of that chapter 4 says, Go to now, come on, come on, James says, you that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. And we make our plans, but we don't know what tomorrow brings. All that we know is that the Lord is going to be now tomorrow. And if we walk with him and we uphold the word of God and we can look to control ourselves through the Holy Spirit, well, the Lord will be helping us in no matter how awkward the situation might be tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or to do that. And praise the Lord. That's our attitude. More and more. Whatever the Lord wills. You know, people in the world see their life like, like an egg timer. And all the sands on the top drifting down. And they get to the stage where the majority is in the bottom, not much on the top, and they top and they get all wound up and upset because their life's passing and they haven't achieved the things that they want to achieve. If we're filled with the Spirit, we've got eternity before us. That really doesn't matter how many years before and how many years in front of us because we've got eternity in front of us. Don't allow a little argument or niggle to rob us of our joy and our salvation. Um, just over the page, and we'll finish in 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> yeah, parents say to the kids, I'll kill you, I'll murder you. Don't really mean it. And maybe the kids drive to the parents of that at times. Um, we can all understand that. But all we think about today is that we need to care and consider these things. Conflict resolution is probably one of the hardest things of all to do. Conflict resolution. All sorts of courts and, and, and um, administrations set up to, to resolve conflicts about people's fences and trees and and family law matters, and everything else. The judge sits in the court and wears a wig. Why? Because he's there not as a person to speak. He's there to dispense the law. He's supposed to be anonymous. The gowns and the wigs, really, is to show that it's not a person. It is the law which is being dispensed to try to resolve arguments between people. Well, if we um, are looking to try to minimise the number of arguments that we have in our life, uh, we'll have a happier walk in the Lord. 
just finish there in 1 Peter 1 verse 16. Because it is written, be you holy for I am holy. Um, the only way you can be holy is to have the Holy Spirit. And if you call on the Father, who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain, empty conversation received by tradition from your fathers, whether it be religious or cultural, but you're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times to you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls. That's what we've done by being baptized. Or you can do this day. In obeying the truth through the spirit under the unfeigned love of the brethren. Something which is not bunged on doesn't allow us to be angry and harboring a grudge. Verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower thereof falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you and all the people say, Amen.